with our country in peril, the women of America rallied to the support of their men. And here, in this almost the last great industry we thought could be handled only by men, these mothers, wives, and sweethearts came to stand shoulder to shoulder with them in almost every capacity. These marvelous women of America, these women of steel, Well, hey, good morning to you, Grace. It's great to see you this morning. Well, so Yogi Berra tells this story. I know that's a, a, a way back reference from the way back machine. And so let me, let me help those of you who are under 50. Yogi Berra was a professional baseball player, and he played for the New York Yankees. And he is famous for, at 37 years of age, which is old in professional baseball, at 37 years of age, he was the catcher in a 22-inning, seven-hour baseball game, and he caught every single inning. Eventually, Yogi Berra became the manager of the Yankees, where he won quite a few World Series. And he was so famous that that cartoon character, you know, Yogi Bear, was named after Yogi Berra. You know, Yogi and Boo Boo. And of course, Boo Boo is named after Honey Boo Boo. And so it all kind of works together. <laughs> but Yogi Berra is known for his sayings. Uh, they're known as yogiisms. And you've probably heard of yogiisms and you don't even know it. Uh, you, you've heard of the yogiism, it ain't over till it's over? Well, that's Yogi when he was talking to the press about his chances of his team in the postseason. Or he is famous for saying baseball is 90% mental and the other half is physical. <laughs> Do the math. He, he said, you should always attend the funeral of people. Otherwise, they won't attend yours. <laughs> I guess that's true. And uh, when asked about all of this, about all of his isms, Yogi Berra said, I didn't really say everything I said. So you can kind of get an idea of who Yogi Berra is. And so in his book, he tells this story. He tells a story of where one of his most famous sayings came from. He was in the car with his wife and his kids. He was heading to a Hall of Fame induction ceremony, and his wife was giving him a really hard time for his driving. And so he started to give it back to her, and so he snaps back, we're lost, but we're making good time. We're lost, but we're making good time. And so that's the title for today's sermon, we're lost, but we're making good time. I know you don't wanna be lost and making good time. I don't wanna be lost and making good time. I don't want Grace Community Church to be lost but making good time. And the Apostle Paul didn't want Timothy's church in Ephesus to be lost and making good time. We're lost and we're making good time. That was the title of a chapter in Mario Marino's book. Now, nobody knows Mario Marino, so you're not the only one. Don't worry about it. But Mario Marino is a business leader, and he's a philanthropist. And he wrote a book about leadership in nonprofit organizations. And so in this book, he has a title in it for one of the chapters that is, We're Lost, 
but we're making good time. And in it, he discusses the problem of being really good at something that isn't your goal. That being really good at something that, that isn't your purpose. Uh, doing things excellent in an area that isn't your mission. And so the example that he gave in, in his book about we're lost but making good time is a principle of a nonprofit um, but private school uh, that was educating kids with learning disabilities. And so the school was, uh, was spending a lot of time on important things like a school lunch and making sure that it was a healthy lunch and when the lunch was in the day and, and making sure the playground was uh, effective and it was safe and making sure that parents and teachers and students were all interacting appropriately and regularly. And all the while, the educational results just weren't there. The, the, the kids were not excelling educationally. They were they were doing so good at the playground, at the lunches, at interaction between parents, students, and, and parents and students and teachers, but they were lost because the mission was the education of the students. And so they realized that they were lost, but making good time going the other direction, and so they made changes. And, and in that school, they started to create benchmarks for every Friday, the, the students would, would benchmark themselves. And the parents could watch on the website the, their children's numbers as they were moving through the curriculum. And the teachers could just, uh, on the spot, adjust the curriculum in a way that needed to be modified so that the students could reach every benchmark that was set along the way. And so now they were no longer, they were still making good time, but they're making good time towards their mission of educating these students. We're lost, but we're making good time. Maybe you know someone like that at work. You know, maybe there's this guy at work who he is a magician when it comes to Excel. You know, an Excel spreadsheet. He could make an Excel spreadsheet sing. He can make an Excel spreadsheet look beautiful. But the problem is, that guy is the guy who mows the lawns. <laughs> and so, he's lost, but make, he's doing really good, but that's not the goal, that's not the purpose, that's not the mission. It's like the guy at work who is really good at making coffee. I mean, he can make mm, the best cup of coffee you've ever had, but his sales numbers are through the floor. <laughs> they, they've just, they've plummeted. And he's, he's lost, he's making good time in coffee, but he's lost to the mission, to the purpose, to the goal. And did you know that it's possible to be lost and making good time for people in a church? It is, it is possible for someone to be really good at something, but it have nothing to do with Christianity. It's possible for a Christian to be lost, but making good time, going some other direction. Maybe you know somebody like that. They have amazing talents. And if they use those talents in their church, their church would explode in ministry. They're using those talents in their work, and they're headed uh, in that direction. They're using their talents in their uh, hobbies, and they're headed excellently in that direction. Uh, they're using those talents in other areas, but not in the things of Jesus. Or maybe you know somebody that has a lot of money. And if they just used a fraction of their money in ministry, it would advance the gospel of Jesus in place that we, you'd never imagine it being, but they're using their money in other places to save the whales and to save the trees and to save the donuts. I get it, it's important, but 
they aren't saving the message of Jesus by putting their money where God's ministry is. Or maybe you know somebody that has a whole lot of time and they're spending their time in a whole lot of other places except for the purpose of Jesus. They're, they're making good time, but they've lost sight of the goal of the purpose of the mission. And maybe you even noticed that in yourself. I'm not pointing fingers at you because as soon as you do that, I, I point three fingers back at me. This is a common issue and Paul is addressing it in this Church. And so Paul tells Timothy not only how this happens, like where this issue comes from, we're lost, but we're making good time, but how to avoid it. And so we're in the book of 2 Timothy, and we're in verse 1 of chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3, beginning at verse 1, it says, But realize this, that in the last days, difficult times will come. Often scripture uses this phrase, last days, and it is referring to the church age, meaning from the book of Acts, where the church began, all the way until Jesus takes the church off of planet earth again, that is the church age. Christians gathering together. Jesus is left after his Uh, resurrection. He goes back up into heaven, and now it's Christians that have unified together, that are spreading the message of Jesus. This is called the church age. We are currently in the last days. We are in the church age now, and I know this this gets a little confusing, because a lot of Christians use this phrase, the last days, for another time. Some Christians use this phrase for talking about the tribulation time, the seven-year time period of very difficult times, tragic, uh, death-filled times. And we're going to read today that the things that are happening in the last days are happening now. And so if we think that the last days is referring to the tribulation and those things are happening now, well, of course, then it would be safe to assume that we are in the tribulation now. But that's not what the last days are referring to. The last days are referring to the church age, 2020. We are in the last days. And it says here that the last days, difficult times will come. There will be good times and there will be bad times. And there will be good times and there will be bad times. And good times and bad times, like the ebb and flow of the ocean as the tides rise and as the tides go down, as a wave crashes and rolls up on the beach, as it runs back into the ocean. Good times and bad times. And some people would say that right now with the coronavirus pandemic, we are in one of those bad times. And that may be true. Who knows? We just may be at the beginning of even worse times. I don't know. But there will be good times and there will be bad times during this church age. And in verse 13, it says that it is going to get worse over time. And now here we are, 2,000 years later. You had the church start after Jesus ascended into heaven. And now here we are, 2020, still in the church age, 2,000 years later, and it continues to get worse and worse and worse. And you wonder, well, by worse, what do you mean? And if we think of the last days as the tribulation, we would say, well, that would be earthquakes and famines and, and war and all those kinds of things. But that's not what we're talking about today. We're talking about the last days of, in the church age. And what is going to get worse? Look at verse 2. 
this is what's going to get worse. For men will be lovers of self and lovers of money and boastful and arrogant and revilers and disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, malicious gossips, without self-control, they're brutal, they're haters of God, they're treacherous, they're reckless, they're conceited, they're lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. This is the focus of this chapter. There is a spiritual departure. They've, they've forgotten the mission and they're headed off in another direction. They're going fast. They're just lost. Okay? That is the focus, the, the spiritual departure. There's a big word for that. It's the apostasy. Uh, An apostasy is the falling away from godly things. Well, let's keep reading here. Holding to a form of godliness, although they have not, they have denied its power. Avoid, avoid such men as these. For among them are those who enter into households and captivate weak women weighed down with sins, led by various impulses, always learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. And now we get uh, an example. Just as Yannis and Yambres opposed Moses, so these men also opposed the truth. Men of depraved mind, rejected in regard to the faith. But they will not make further progress, for their folly will be obvious to all, just as Yannis's and Yambres's folly was also obvious to all. Let's keep reading. Now you followed my teaching. This is now, here's how you, here's how you not get caught up in the flow of humanity. Here's how you withstand going the wrong direction. Now you followed my teaching, conduct, purpose, faith, patience, love, perseverance, persecutions and sufferings, such as happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, and at Lystra, what persecutions I endured, and out of them all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live godly in Christ will be persecuted, but evil men and imposters will proceed from bad to worse. There it is, getting worse and worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. You, however, continue in these things. You have learned and become convinced of knowing from you whom you have learned them. And that from childhood you have known the sacred writings which are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. All scripture is inspired by God and it's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. And these four words tell the story of how not to be lost, and if you are lost, how to get back on track for teaching. All scripture, every verse in the Bible has the ability to do all four of these things or at least one of these four things for teaching. This is the way to go. This is the mission. This is the goal. This is the thing to think about. This is, this is the purpose. The education of those kids in that school. Not the lunches, not the playground, not the, not the teacher, parent, child conferences. The education of the kids. 
that this is the direction, the purpose, goal, teaching, for reproof. Uh-oh, you're off track. You're headed in the wrong direction. You're, you're lost, but you're making good time. You're not doing the right things. You're doing the wrong things. That's reproof. For correction, here's how to get back on track. Here's how to get back on task. Here's how to get back on mission. And then the last one, training. Training in righteousness. You gotta stay on the road. This is how to stay on. You've been off before. You know you've been off before. You gotta train to stay on mission, on task, on, on purpose. And every verse in the Bible can do all of those four things or at least one of those four things. Just flip your Bible open, touch it. Yeah, that one too. All of them. But the focus in this passage is about this spiritual falling away over time it getting worse and worse and worse this apostasy of people of humanity from the things of God and so look back at verse 14 why does it get worse and worse and worse it's because of these evil people that pull people away from the things of God. Now, who are these evil men? But evil men and imposters will proceed from bad to worse. Who are these evil men? First, when you read the word man in the Bible, you have to decide who it's talking about. And you have two options, but you don't have three. So one option is that it is a man, a male. Okay? It could also mean a man like mankind. So it'd be all people, men, women, boys and girls, men. But it cannot mean women only. Okay? And so we look at this evil men, and this is the word for people, evil people. Okay? And who are these evil people that are leading people away from God, leading them down this other path that is, that is making good progress, but is lost? Well, they are these imposters. They are people who claim to know the Bible and people who claim to teach the Bible. They say that they're religious. You look at their website and they've got an amazing doctrinal statement on their website and they have lots of people who vouch for them and yet they are leading people further and further away from the things of God. They're, they're leading people further and further away from the truth. In the, they say that they're religious their, their websites and their ministries look like they're believers. They say they trust Jesus. They say that they read the Bible. They say that they build their life on the Bible, and yet they support, um, even encourage, or even do things that are completely against the Bible. They, they support abortion. They, they support same-sex marriage or even same-sex relationships. They teach in their churches evolutionary theory in their churches. They say that watching pornography is fine. After all, it doesn't hurt anybody and everyone does it. They, they say that it's okay to get drunk. It's okay to get buzzed as long as you don't drive. And so now here we are from the beginning of the church, 2,000 years later in the year 2020, and things have gotten worse and worse and worse. And there are countries that call themselves Christian, and yet they kill 700,000 babies every single year in abortion. And they call it good. It's gotten that bad. And they call COVID bad and abortion good. What kind of world do we live in? Well, why is that? It's because of these imposters. Now, how could you identify one of these imposters? Well, 
verses 2, 3, 4, and 5, give a long list, 19 different things that you could identify. Now, there's not going to be a person out there who is all 19 of them. Because if they were all 19 of them, they, would <laughs> they, they wouldn't be an imposter. They would be obvious. Okay? But here are some of the things that after you get to know them, you find out about them. They are selfish. They love themselves. They, they're greedy. They love money. They're boastful, cocky, arrogant. They're revilers, like they like to fight or argue. They are disobedient to parents, or they encourage teenagers to be disobedient to their parents. They are ungrateful. They are unholy. They are unloving. They're irreconcilable. They, they can't find peace with anybody. They, they gossip. They have they, they, they can't control themselves. They just do whatever they want to do. They're brutal. They're haters of good. They're treacherous. They're reckless. They're conceited. They're lovers of pleasure. And they hold to a form of godliness, although they have denied its power. That means they, they say that they're a believer. They say they love Jesus. They wear a robe at church when they preach. They carry a big Bible. They have a great doctrinal statement on their, on their website. They wear a cross, and yet there is no power of God's Holy Spirit in them at all. And so what do these guys do? How do they lead people to be lost but making good time? Well, there's one example in verse 6. For among them are those who enter into the households and captivate weak women weighed down with sins. Because of their weakness, and the assumption is we're talking about spiritual weakness, not, not physical weakness. Because of their weakness, women are led down this road of being lost but making good time much quicker, much faster than, than men. And why is this? Why would Paul pick on women? What is, what, what is this about women? Why, why does Paul say that women are more susceptible than men to these, uh, to these imposters teaching alternate ideas? Is this something that's sexist? I'm not reading this anymore because this is sexist. It's against women. Well, now here we are 2,000 years later after this was written, and finally science has caught up with what the Apostle Paul wrote 2,000 years ago. Look at this article from NBC uh, News article just two years ago, and the title of the news article is, Cults are terrifying, but they are even worse for women. Science has finally come to learn that that women are more susceptible to these imposters. That article is all about the sexual influence within, uh, within cults. And then just last year, in a Canadian newspaper, the National Post, the title of the article is, Women are more susceptible than men to falling under the control of cults. And so finally, science has finally proven what the Apostle Paul knew to be true 2,000 years ago, that, that women, for some reason, are more susceptible to these imposters going the wrong direction. Now, why is that? That's a good question. And 
Jordan Peterson. Jordan Peterson is a clinical psychologist, and he's done a lot of study in the differences between men and women. And yeah, surprise, surprise, there is a difference between men and women. Boys are not girls, and girls are not boys. Men don't do things that women do, and women don't do things men do. Men and women are different, surprise, surprise. And this is what Jordan Peterson says regarding the difference between men and women. The biggest tested psychological difference between men and women is that women score much higher than men in agreeableness, which makes the women want to conform or want to fit in. And so men aren't agreeable, (laughs) step one. And two, women want to fit in. And this is not a bad thing. This is not an evil thing. This is a wonderful thing. This is built into the DNA of a woman. You cannot un-DNA this from a woman. These aren't Christian women that were tested. These are just women. It's built into the DNA from God for them to be agreeable and for them to fit in. And that's perfect because that's the way that God designed the family and God designed the home. That when a woman decides to marry a, uh, when a woman decides to marry a man, she decides that she is going to follow that man's leadership in the home, that she's going to fit into his plans. So that's why it's so important that a woman pick the right man to marry <laughs> because she has this agreeable nature to conform and fit into the direction that other people are going. It's It's a wonderful thing. And so that's what the Apostle Paul is referring to in verse 6 where he says that these imposters know this. They know the science. And they lead women astray. And so, guys, if you have a daughter, men, if, if you are married, It is important that you protect your wife and protect your daughter spiritually in this way. They are not like you, and you are not like them. Guys, you are not agreeable. (laughs) You, you, who cares what they say? I'm going to do it my way. I don't care what anybody says. I know best. I know better than anybody else. I don't need anybody else to help me. I'm going to do it my way. (laughs) That's a guy. But women, your wife and your daughter, they want to be agreeable. They want to fit in. And if their friends are reading it, if their friends are going there, if their friends are thinking these things, they have a desire to be agreeable and to fit in and to conform with what everybody else is doing. And it's possible that if we're not protective of them in these areas, they could be lost and making good time. And so then the Apostle Paul gives an example. We have these two guys, Yanes and Yambres, Yanes, that's how you would say it. These are ancient Egypt, 5,000 years ago names. And so if you're Greek in the first century, you would say Yanes. And if you were Spanish speaking, you would say Juanes. <laughs> and if you are trying to sound it out with English phonetics, you would say Janes. And so you can call them whatever you want, but you can look them up in the Bible and you would see them nowhere else mentioned in Scripture. You're like, who are these guys? They're used as an example, but they're nowhere else in Scripture. Aha. They are mentioned in some other non-biblical writings. The, the Targum of Jonathan, it's mentioned in the book of Exodus. And in the Targum of Jonathan, it's not scripture, but it mentions these two guys' names, and they are called magicians. 
Remember, this is talking about Moses, how they refused Moses, how they opposed Moses. So go back in your brain, all the way back to Moses and Pharaoh, you know, when, when Moses came back into Egypt and he was going to be used by God and he walks into uh, the, the, the Pharaoh's McDonald's castle and, and he says, I'm from God. And Pharaoh says, prove it. And Moses opens his cloak and sticks his hand inside of his cloak. And when he pulls his hand outside of his cloak, it's filled with leprosy. And then he puts his hand back in his cloak, pulls it back out again, and now it is healthy again. And then he has his staff, his stick, and he throws it down on the ground, and it turns into a snake. And then he grabs that snake by a tail and pulls it back up, and it turns back into a stick. Now, you remember in that point in history when Moses and Aaron are doing those miracles, you remember that there were magicians that were there that were copying or duplicating those as a way to refuse or as a way to oppose Moses. That was Yanes and Yambres. That's who those guys were. And as they were opposing Moses, as they resisted God's work through Moses, the same is true about these imposters who are leading people the wrong direction. They are resisting the work of the Holy Spirit in the church among Christians. And so that's why it says they are rejected in regard to the faith. They're not even Christians. They call themselves Christians. They might be pastors or elders or leaders of a church. They might preach every Sunday. They might have amazing worship services. They might, uh, they, they, they might uh, have great statements of faith on their website. And yet, if they're these imposters, they are not even Christians. And they are leading people in the wrong direction. Fast, They are lost, but they're making good time. And remember, I told you that Paul tells Timothy how this happens, and so now you know. The yanesses and the yambresses of, of our culture, 2,000 years of yanesses and yambresses have led us to the place where we are of being very distant from the things of God in our culture. But then I also told you that Paul's going to tell Timothy how to avoid it. And so you look at verses 14 and 15. This is how you avoid it. He says, continue, continue. The thing that you've been doing, you just keep doing that, that thing. Keep doing that thing again and again. And doing what? Well, that's the next phrase. Doing the things that you learned and became convinced of. Instead of falling away, instead of the apostasy, instead of spiritually distancing yourself from God, going the wrong direction, just keep doing the things that you've learned and you were convinced of yourself. You grew up with Christian parents. But just because your parents were a Christian, Timothy, doesn't mean that you're saved, doesn't mean that you're born again, doesn't mean that you're a Christian too. And for those of you who are watching that have Christian parents and grew, grow up in a Christian home, you might be a teenager sitting on your couch right now because your parents made you sit there. And all I have to say and remind you is, you have to be convinced yourself of these things that you have learned. 
that your parents have modeled them for you. They're, they're setting up a foundation for you to know it, but you have to be convinced of them and your own heart and mind have to change to Jesus. It's not because you don't cuss and it's not because you don't watch those movies and it's not uh, because I'm watching a live stream when, one of my other, when my other friends aren't or I listen to Christian music. No, no, no. It's being convinced in your own heart of the things that you've learned. Well, Then it says, knowing from whom you have learned those things. Well, who did he learn those things from? Well, Timothy had learned them from the Apostle Paul. He was called, Paul was his spiritual father, like his only male spiritual figurehead. But it was also his mom and his grandma at home from when he was a child. And so those of us who have kids in the house, I'm there with you. We have kids in the house, and it's important for us to set this foundation and to give our, our kids that are still in the house. So when I say kids that are still in the house, I mean those kids that are six months old, the six years old, 16 years old, the ones that are 26 years old, you're still trying to get out of the house, all of them. If they're still living in the house, we set a standard and we set an example so that when they leave the house, And who knows, someone may unfortunately lead them in the wrong direction. That they could remember what it was like back when they were at home. Knowing from whom you've learned them from. Remember, all scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching. This is the way to go. But also for reproof. No, you've gone the wrong way in correction. This is how you get back. Well, part of the way that your kids will know how to get back if they get off track when they leave your house is to remember the the way that it was when it was at your house. Is your house right now, like maybe not today because (laughs) today you are sitting in front of a TV watching church, but every other day of the week, is your house set up the way that you want your kids to remember and do it when they're adults too? That's the question. Well, it, it was for Timothy. And, and what did his mom and his grandma teach him from a child? Notice what it says there in verse 15. It says that from childhood, you have known the sacred writings. I, I love the phrase sacred writings. That, that's the Bible. That's God's word. That's God's truth. Because it reminds you of the purpose. It reminds you of the goal. It reminds you of the mission. God's word is the thing that recalibrates your mind to to be thinking of the things of God all of the time. That takes us full circle all the way back to where we started from with teaching and reproof and correction and training in righteousness. That's exactly what the Bible does. All scripture is inspired by God and it's profitable for teaching. This is the way to go. This is the mission. This is the way to go. For reproof. Oh no, you are lost and you're going there fast. (laughs) Correct yourself. Get back on track. And for staying on track. Wouldn't you want your kids to stay on track? I think you would. Wouldn't you want your kids to to know what what to change if if they went off track? I I think you would. And so Timothy's mom and grandma read, read him the Bible before he could read and then had him read it when he was old enough. And so that when he left the house, he would know how to correct himself and get back on track. And so this is why Grace Community Church, for all of its years, has been known as a Bible-teaching church. You might wonder, how come you don't do it like all those other churches, you know, when they have 50 minutes of worship music? Great worship music. 
I, I, that would kill us. I mean, we complain about standing for three songs, you know. But, but 50 minutes of worship music, and then the pastor gets up for 15 minutes and has some funny stories and some personal opinions about uh, social issues of the day, and then finish with another three songs of great worship. How come you don't do it like that? I can tell you why we don't do it like that. Verse 5. Verse 5 would say that is holding to a form of godliness but denying its power. That's what that would be. We would say, yes, God is great. Yes, God's word is true, but we would spend no time studying it. And I don't desire to to, to be that because it says that you should avoid men like this and, and by extrapolation, avoid churches like that because they're imposters. And over time, they will go worse and worse and worse. And you might not know them at the beginning to be worse, bad imposters. But over time, you may start to notice them about them. But by then, maybe you've already been deceived. I don't know. So the reason that we teach the Bible is I don't want to hold to a form of godliness but deny its power. And I don't want you to be selfish. Verses 2, 3, and 4, I don't want you to be selfish. I don't want you to love money more than God. I don't want you to be boastful or arrogant or always fighting or I don't want you to disobey your parents. I I don't want you to dishonor your parents even when you're adults outside of the house. I don't want you to be ungrateful or unholy or unloving. I don't want you to have have no peace with other people. I don't want you to be a gossip. I I I, I want you to be under control. I don't want you to be brutal. I don't want you to be haters of good. I don't want you to call things that are good. I don't want you to call them bad. And, and I don't want you to call the things that are, are bad, I don't want you to call them good. And I don't want you to be treacherous or reckless or conceited or lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. And I don't think you want to be that either. Are you lost but making good time? When I was a pastor of student ministries, um, I would take our teenagers on various ministry trips that just kind of get the teenagers out of their normal everyday and put themselves, put them in some uncomfortable situations uh, and allow them to, to know the joy of drawing from God's Holy Spirit in ministry and allowing the Holy Spirit to help them in ministry. And so uh, for a couple of years, we went to some urban ministry in downtown Los Angeles and the ministry houses you in kind of a warehouse downtown, and, and then someone rides with you, one of the staff members rides with you in your vehicles wherever you go around the city to the various ministries that you participate in. They, they kind of introduce you to the ministry and what you're going to be doing that day. And so they give you the directions on where to go. Well, one year, we had this guy in, in the passenger seat, and he, either he didn't know Los Angeles really well, or, or he just was bad at directions. But we'd be driving down busy Los Angeles streets, a van full of teenagers in, in the back, another van following us in the back, and I'd be in the left-hand turn lane, and he'd say, oh, I think we need to turn right. I'm like, what? <laughs> or we'd be driving down the street, and he'd say, oh, um, we were supposed to turn left about three blocks ago. <laughs> it is no good following somebody that doesn't know where they're going. We've all, you've experienced that, you know, when you're following someone, once you have that, argu- you know, the argument, I'll follow you. No, 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 you follow me. No, no, I'll follow you. No, you follow me. I'll follow you. And so once you decide, I'll follow you, 
and you're following them, and the first time they make a U-turn, you're like, oh my goodness, they don't even know where they're going. And then they make three rights, and you're like, oh my goodness, they don't know where they're going. It is no good following somebody that doesn't know where they're going. And it is no good to be guided by somebody that is not guided by the Bible. It is no good, Timothy. Grace Community Church in Ephesus. Christians around the world, throughout church history, it is no good to be guided by somebody who is not guided by the Bible. Be careful. Now it's possible that you could identify with that long list of things in 2 Timothy 2, 3, and 4. You could say, yeah, I'm selfish. <laughs> I, I love money. <laughs> I, I'm disobedient to my parents. I was and I still am. And I don't have a lot of self-control. And I am conceited. And I'm pretty arrogant too. If you're honest with yourself, you'd say those things. And every person is. That, that's the sin inside of people. A sin is just a word in the Bible that talks about missing the mark. God's mark is righteousness, holiness, perfection. Did you know that God, that's the mark? That's the mark of God. He is holy and righteous. And so anybody who goes to heaven would be righteous and holy and perfect. And so sin is anything, anything where you miss the mark. And so we, we've all, we are all selfish people. We, we all have loved money more than God. We, we have all been without self-control. And the Bible says that that's sin, and that separates us from God for all of eternity in a place called hell. And the good news of Scripture, the good news of Paul, the good news that saved Timothy, the, the, the thing that Paul, Timothy's mom and Timothy's grandma taught him, that, that he became convinced of was that Jesus was God. That, that Jesus is the second person of the Trinity and he came to planet Earth. He was born on Christmas Day and he lived a perfect life. He never sinned one time and so that when he goes to the cross, he's dying, not for his sin, but for mine. He is God dying for me and he was God dying for you. For God so loved the world, the Bible says, that he sent his only son that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. That is who Jesus is. As he is dying on the cross, he is paying your fine. The righteous judge in heaven looks upon you and no longer sees the sin, no longer sees the selfishness, no longer sees the, 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 the conceitedness and the, and the recklessness and the lack of self-control. When a person changes their mind about Jesus, they become convinced that Jesus is God, that Jesus has died on the cross for his sins. They are wrapped in his robes of righteousness. They become righteous. They become the very thing that is possible to enter eternity into heaven. Three days later, Jesus rises from the grave, proving that he is God. That he can, he can make people who, have, who have, are dead in sin, they can make them alive in, in Christ. Jesus rose from the grave. And the Bible says that sometime in the future, you too, as we talked about today, will be raptured, will be taken up into heaven when you put your faith and your trust in Jesus Christ as your Lord and your Savior. And so maybe you recognize this long list of things, being a gossip and being unloving and having no peace with other people. Yeah, we've all been there. Christians have all, are all those things and more. And the way that a person goes to heaven is not by doing better and better things. It's not by pulling up your own bootstraps or reading the Bible more. The way that a person is saved, is rescued from their sin, is by changing their mind about Jesus, being convinced that these things are true. And maybe you've come to that point where you've been convinced that these things are true also. 
And today would be a day where you can talk to God about those things. You can just stare at the TV, just listen to what you're listening to on the podcast right now. And you can talk to God in your heart and your mind. You don't need to say anything out loud, but this is what you could say. You could say, God, I know that I've sinned. I know that I've missed the mark. I've been selfish. I've been conceited. I have no self-control. I realize that that's missing the mark. I realize that I've sinned, and I realize that I need a rescuer. I need a redeemer, someone to pay for my sins, and I believe that Jesus is that. I believe Jesus is the one that has rescued me from my sins, and so I put my faith and my trust and my belief in, in this Jesus. I put my eternity into his hands. I believe that Jesus rose from the grave. He proved that he could make me who is dead in my sin to be alive, in Christ, to be alive in eternity in heaven. I put my faith and trust in this Jesus. God knows your heart. He knows your mind. You can't convince God otherwise. You can't convince him of things that you don't really mean. But you also can't jump out of his hands. As soon as you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, the promise that the third person, the Trinity, comes and lives inside of you, the Holy Spirit. And he helps you to do all these things that we've talked about today. To love Jesus, to love God, to love other people and to focus on his word. And now maybe today you realize that you're somewhere, somewhere off task, off, uh, off direction, uh, off mission. Uh, the, you're off the goal. You could identify with someone that's, that's making good time. You, you've, you've got a lot of talents and gifts and money and all these things, but you're just not using them for Jesus. And today's a day for you to correct. Okay? Today's been a day of, of teaching, Today might be a day of reproof. You're going the wrong direction, but today could be a day of correction where you get back on track and all you'd say to God, you'd say, God, I'm, I'm sorry. I, I, I have not allowed God's word to change my mind. I have been doing my things. I have not been committed to your things. I've been off track and I need your help, Jesus, to get back on track. And the first way to get back on track is by reading his Bible. That will help you and train you for the next steps in your life. Well, thank you for joining us this morning. Let's close in prayer. Dear God, I thank you for all these things, and I thank you for your Bible and what it teaches us. I lift up what is happening in our culture today, and we don't know really where we stand. If this is the end of bad times and, 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 and moving to better times, or if this is just the beginning of things that get worse, but we trust in you. This is your church, and we are your people, and, and this is your world. And so we humbly submit and follow you. And God, I lift up all those people who are working in the medical field, the people who are, who are sick, and, and I pray for the scientists who are looking for conclusions that you would give them supernatural wisdom, insight into science and technology and biology and chemistry that would allow them to find conclusions to the coronavirus. God, I pray that you would allow us to meet again as a church in, in person where we can do what the church does and encourage and love each other in, in person. So God, we give these things to you. In Jesus' name, amen.